Participate, engage, speak out, use your voice to be an effective advocate. The Voices in Advocacy podcast examines the diverse landscape of advocacy, exploring the ins and outs of building influence, driving change, and creating champion advocates. It's now time for the Voices in Advocacy podcast with your host, Roger Rickard. Hello and welcome to the Voices in Advocacy podcast. I'm Roger Rickard, president and founder of Voices in Advocacy, where we work with organizations to inspire, educate, engage, and activate your supporters by turning them into effective, influential advocates. And this is the podcast dedicated to the art of advocacy. This podcast is for the people that work and engage in advocacy efforts for their organizations, be they corporations, associations, trade organizations, and nonprofit cause groups. If you're one of the people that work to build grassroots advocacy and grow your community of advocates, then you're in the right place. Now, let's get started. In today's episode, we speak with Leanne Peterson, partner uh, in the firm L Street Partners which specializes in legislative and policy support, public affairs, event and meeting planning, fundraising, marketing, and branding geared towards inside the Beltway audience. Her extensive experience spans 25 years, including government relations and public affairs work at the local, state, and federal levels of government. She has gone from health staffer to lobbyist to entrepreneur. Leanne is passionate about women's empowerment and leadership in the policy arena. She is the founder of the Professional Women in Advocacy Conference, a national conference that attracts women working in advocacy, government relations, public affairs, political engagement, politics, campaigns, and public policy. And finally, Leanne is is the past board member and past president The Women in Government Relations, a professional society of a thousand plus women in the field of lobbying. Leanne, thank you and welcome to today's show. Thank you for having me, Roger. It's great to be with you. I'm excited about today's show because this episode is going to be all about women, all about women in advocacy, government relations, public policy, the entire ecosystem uh that encompasses those areas so let's get started with you your education is in political science so why poli sci and what made you want a career in government relations well the initial goal roger with a political science degree was to go to law school and i wanted to go to law school because i wanted to help people Uh, I was a former foster youth, um, and when I graduated high school, went on to college, and then went on to graduate school, I always dreamed of being able to pay back to the foster community what I'd learned. So the goal was to become a a lawyer and to represent children and families. Um, But then I, I sort of Midway through my major in college, I, I really got the, the bug for politics. And then I decided, well, maybe I could make change by running for office. And so I embarked on my career in politics thinking that I would someday be a lawmaker. Um, and that sort of got derailed after I really got to work 
uh, at the local level and then in the state Senate in California and then in DC. And I really saw what it takes to be a politician and realized that for me, it probably would be better to stick to public administration and public policy and that I could make more change that way. Yeah, well, and I, and I get that because, you know, I majored in political science at Penn State. I actually ran and, and won a few elections along the way, but decided ultimately that's not really where I'm best suited and, uh, and wanted to move on. So I get that and I understand that. But with your background, you have become an advocate without question. And you have become a leading advocate for women in government relations. So you, so you are paying it, paying the fact. How did that evolve for you? Well, I did what most people do when they come to Washington, and that is to work for a member of Congress and then go on to a lobbying firm. I also then went in-house for Volvo Group North America uh, as their manager of government relations, where I was handling um, public policy in this area of transportation and energy and infrastructure. And the work was very dry. Uh, I mean, you know, public policy in those areas is not as entrepreneurial as I wanted. And so um, midway through my career in lobbying, doing transportation policy, I realized I needed something a little bit more entrepreneurial. And um, at that same point in time, I rose through the ranks of the leadership at Women in Government Relations and really found that my passion wasn't necessarily for public policy, it was for helping women in our field and empowering women and helping women realize their potential to get a seat at the public policy table. And so that's when I really started dedicating my life and my work and my job to women's empowerment. So I, I left lobbying altogether really about 15 years ago and started doing more entrepreneurial work, communications, marketing, PR, event planning, fundraising, uh, and doing that work as my day job and then promoting women and working as a volunteer uh, to promote women's leadership in our field as a sort of a, a pastime or a hobby. So, so why do you even think it's necessary to do mm. that? I mean, I know why, you, you, or at least I have some ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, how about you, Leanne? Well, lobbying and government relations broadly, right, is, is still a very male-dominated industry. And I'm not pointing fingers at anyone for that. It, it just is what it is. Um, women face different opportunities and challenges in their careers. Um, leaving to have a family might be one of them or to um, take care of an aging parent might be one of them. But women take breaks in their careers sometimes that don't allow them to climb the ladder as quickly as their male counterparts. And so what we're seeing in the government relations community is a lot of men who climb, 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 and are at the top and women who maybe take a break and then have to come back and they're not afforded those same opportunities because in our field relationships are critical and if you leave the job for any period of time and let those relationships fall to the wayside then you're not um, on equal footing with your male counterparts so and then at the end of the day what happens is when you get into that room with a member of congress 
or someone from the administration or any public policy official or lawmaker, if there aren't women around the table, the result is gonna be policy that's not geared with women and children and families in mind. So there are a lot of people out there, Roger, that are working to get more women elected to public office. And I salute that. But I think that we can make just as big of a difference by getting more women at very senior levels around the policy table in the government relations field. I think that's a really good point. And yes, there are people making the push to have more women uh, as the elected officials. But, um, you know, I see that, that women do an incredible job in, in this. Uh, and, and for some obvious reasons uh, why they do a great job. So how can you help or how can you or any woman uh advocate their value better? Well, you've asked the magic question, uh, and there are plenty of professionals out there, leadership coaches, executive coaches who can help with this. I really recommend anyone who's seeking to advance in their career to utilize the services of one of these experts. Um, and WGR has a whole cadre of them, you know, ready and waiting to help. Um, you know, women haven't been at senior levels of management as long as men have. They haven't navigated the hiring system as long as men have. So we still have some work to do when it comes to negotiating that salary, negotiating that higher position. Um, we're learning and we're getting better at that. But we also had another setback along the way, which was other women who are very senior, not reaching down to pull other women up. And that's because at one point in time, there just wasn't very much room at the top. Now there is. So what we should be seeing is more women helping other women, championing them, preparing them to ask the right questions to, um, to, to seek the answers to get the, the position, the employment that they want, right? So that's, in a, in a nutshell, I think it's, um, it just takes some time for us to get there and learn to ask the right questions, that's all. Right, and so you, you mentioned WGR, as a reminder to everybody, that's Women in Government Relations, uh, an organization that you uh, served on the board and, and was a past president of. So are there additional tools out there to help women specifically in this field, help them kind of uh, not only just survive, because that's not enough, but help them thrive in this process? Yes, thank you for asking that. It's such an important question. And women sometimes don't always ask for help because we're used to being sort of at the center of, of family and community, and we're used to you know, helping others and, and maybe not thinking about ourselves first. So here's my advice. If you need help crafting your resume, get a professional to help you craft your resume. If you're not on LinkedIn, then shame on you. You need to be on LinkedIn. 95% of employers are looking at LinkedIn. So get a profile on LinkedIn. And if you can have a professional help you with that. Um, get a career coach, or if you're in the executive ranks, get an executive coach. There are tools out there that are available and that are affordable 
Um, and if anyone needs a hand finding them or figuring out next steps, my door is, is always open. And of course, you can obviously join WGR and they have resources too, but my door is always open, but get the help that you need, focus on yourself, give yourself that time and, and those, those things that are gonna help you excel. Yeah, and I, and I, I absolutely agree with that. And I think a, a real honest self-assessment of not only where your strengths are, but where your weaknesses are, and then taking those weaknesses and saying, where are the answers that make me stronger in those weaker areas? Uh, and I think that that's uh, a way that, that can help anyone, but in this particular vein, the conversation for women uh, to, to be able to, to do that. You as an entrepreneur, and in looking at your background, I've seen that you've founded numerous different uh, entities along the way, and you're a partner now in L Street Partners, running an organization is hard, and it provides a whole different set of skills. What are your biggest challenges in running an organization now? Well, the obvious challenge was COVID-19 this past year, because um, I'm sure many in the government relations community can um, agree with me that it was a tough year that you know, there was a lot of uncertainty in our field. Um, there weren't as many contracts out there. You know, associations and nonprofits and corporations all were tightening their belts. They all had travel bans in place. Um, I do work every four years at the national presidential conventions, both the Republican and the Democrat. Those were not canceled, but they were either virtual or, or extremely scaled back. So there weren't any contracts there. Um, and we had just started L Street Partners right before the pandemic hit. So that was my, that's, was my biggest challenge. Um, but if it wasn't a pandemic year, I would tell you what the normal challenges are for women starting their own firm. It's charging enough money for their services and valuing their own services. It's um, being willing to hunt and kill what you eat which is how we say in the consulting business, you know, that's, you don't make money unless you're out there hunting. So that's a challenge because not women, not all women are, are interested in doing that or well-equipped to, to do that. I mean, you have to have drinks with people. You have to play golf with people. You have to be visible, you know, and available. And sometimes that's hard for women who um, are mid-level in their careers and have families and community obligations and volunteer and church life and all that. So you know, the usual challenges are, are in place, Roger, but, you know, the pandemic is probably the biggest one. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, think, you're, I think you're spot on because time's always an issue, the bandwidth of, of what you can get done during that time while you are still out there hunting and trapping and, and trying to find, put food on the table uh, to, to keep it sustaining. Let, let's spin away for a second uh, and let's go somewhere else right now. What is the first thing that comes to mind when you think of the word advocacy? This is such a great question because it changes every few years. So when I first came to Washington, you could use the term lobbyist freely and it didn't have any negative connotations. It wasn't until there was, you know, the Abramoff scandal and some others that branded lobbyists with the scarlet letter. And um, 
So, you know, we used to refer to ourselves as lobbyists, but then when that became a little distasteful, we sought other words to, to use. So we would call ourselves Washington representatives. Um, and then, you know, the term advocates came up in our field and, and people have used the term advocate for a long time, right? Like, you know, it's used in, in legal circles in courtrooms to be an advocate for a client. Um, but we just started using it in the government in government relations circles, I think, um, a few years back, and you're seeing it now more prominently in GR circles, because not only is it a politer way of saying lobbyists, but it also encompasses so much more than just lobbying. So you've got your political engagement folks under there, you've got your um, communications personnel um, is now in public affairs. So much of lobbying now is communications and public affairs that that's now under the umbrella of advocacy. So when I, when I think of the term advocacy, I think of the process by which you represent your issue, cause, or industry. And that's, it sounds very simple, but that's really what it is. Uh, you're really close to the actual formal uh, kind of dictionary definition uh, of what advocacy is. And I think it's, it's used because it also helps explain how you get uh, stakeholder and member support. You know, not, not just what we would call the traditional lobbying uh, levers that have been pulled, but also trying to engage more people so that constituents are heard and so that uh, citizens have a, have a different voice. Um, so again, just tugging at different threads here. Uh, in your opinion, how can organizations and their advocates uh, particularly as you talk about a public relations side of things here in communication. How can organizations and their advocates help move legislation when we know that it's an incredibly polarized and divided Congress and country? It's not just Congress that's divided. Well, again, Roger, you've asked, you know, the million dollar question, um, but it's like, I'll send, an invoice. Yeah. I'll, I'll send an invoice for that question. Yes, good. <laughs> <laughs> no, you have to answer it before you can get paid. That's, that's okay. what I'm, um, it's, it's like water flowing downstream. You know, if, if you can't get something done in, in DC it, at the federal level, because it's too, um, you know, because people aren't getting along or it's, you know, then, then the water will move into a different direction. And maybe you can try at the, the local level or the state level. And so you see companies like, you know, Bird and Uber Eats and Uber and Lyft and all these other companies that are um, moving into cities without really going through the legislative or the policy process, um, asking uh, forgiveness versus permission. So, you know, there are folks that, you know, try to work the right channels, but when that doesn't work, they go around. So, um, I, you know, your guess is as good as mine. I'm very interested to see later this year um, in October when people start declaring for these 2022 races to see where we're going to be, um, politically speaking, um, in terms of like traditional Republicans versus this new guard of Republicans, 
Um, Democrats have the same issue on that side, uh, the AOCs of the world versus the more traditional moderate blue dog Democrats. So I think folks aren't getting along very well uh, in DC right now, but I think it's cyclical. I think the pendulum will come back the other direction. And I think this October, we're gonna see some of that starting to change. Yeah, uh, Leanne, I, I, I agree with you. And I, I love the water analogy though. Of you, it, it finds a different path. If, if you've blocked it here, it, uh, there, there's different ways that it will flow. I, I, I think that's very apropos uh, in, in the political world. And, and whether that is <laughs> flow differently in DC, flow differently at the, the state local levels, uh, you know. And one of the things that I, I, I love to point out to people is, that, and so if you're listening to the podcast, you know, there are 537 people in Washington that are elected. The 100 senators, the 435 Congress people, and the president and vice president of the United States. But there's 329,000 other elected officials in this country. <laughs> yeah. And they have all kinds of jobs from be it water district or be it, you know, uh, the county commissioners. I mean, we could go on dog catcher. It doesn't matter what the position is, but these people are all elected and they all serve at the will of the people. And so because of that, there are many, many places to go. And so I often find uh, that people kind of beat their head up against the wall thinking that things are so terrible because of what they see on national news necessarily and, and the impact of that. And the other thing that they, I don't think that they realize is that there are so many pieces of legislation mm -hmm. that have full bipartisan support uh, that never get heard by the public because that's not what sells in the media. And it's not of great interest to, to the average citizen because there are corrections along the way. Um, so is there anything else that you would like to add in today's uh, today's podcast. I know that you're very involved in, in the women's conference and with the women in, in government relations. Anything you'd like to add? Sure, thank you. Um, if it's okay with you, I'd love to plug the Excellence in Advocacy Awards, which takes place every year. It's sponsored by uh, Women in Government Relations and it takes place as part of the Professional Women in Advocacy Conference. The deadline for nominating someone is uh, the 31st of May, but I believe there will be a one week extension. So um, I would encourage all of your listeners to nominate themselves or a colleague. Um, it's free, it's easy, it takes about 10 minutes. You can find the nomination form on the conference website, which is pwiaconference.org, and nominate someone today. This, this process of nominating someone, whether they win or not, affords them six weeks of visibility for either their, their um, 
their cause or their organization, or in the case of uh, the up and comer award um, for them personally. So it's a very easy, free way to get visibility for people who uh, do this work every day. They're everyday advocates. They're not members of Congress. They're not heads of associations. These are regular everyday advocates. It's the only award in town that recognizes them. And uh, I think, I mean, I've never met someone who was nominated who regretted it. And, you know, so I think <laughs> nominate a colleague today. Thank you for letting me plug that, Roger. Oh, you're more than welcome, Leanne. I, uh, I, I think it's a great thing to do. Uh, recognizing people that are out in the field doing the hard work, the, the lifting and the toil all, all day long. Um, I, I think it's very appropriate. And it goes back to what we discussed right at the beginning about how do you empower women more? And when people see that they're winning awards and that they're participating and that the accolades are coming their way for the hard work that they put in, uh, then you know it helps elevate the entire profession and, and the women within that profession. You know, Leanne, how can people reach you? I know you gave the, uh, the website for the uh, award, but how can people either reach you? You mentioned earlier about LinkedIn uh, or how can they reach women in government relations? Sure. So you can email me directly at my WGR uh, email address, which is L Peterson, and that's P-E-T-E-R-S-E-N at WGR.org. And happy to answer any questions, happy to provide mentorship, guidance, have coffee with you. Uh, I have an open door policy. And I have to tell you, Roger, probably the most rewarding thing so far about my whole career, it hasn't been meeting presidents of the United States or shaking hands with foreign diplomats or members of Congress. It's been helping women in my field. And, and how now, probably two generations later, we have young women coming up who know my name because I helped their mom and their mom put them in touch with me. And so it's just been so gratifying. So thanks for letting me um, join you on your podcast today and to, and to give folks my information. What a statement of legacy, Leanne. I think that's absolutely great. Helping the other generations as they come up through. Well, folks, that's a wrap of today's great conversation with Leanne Peterson, partner in L Street Partners. Leanne, thank you for being on the show and all the best to you. Thanks for having me, Roger. Take care. Now it's time for the Advocacy Engagement Tip. We always talk about having our advocates communicate with their elected officials. And to be effective in doing this, one has to learn a few guiding principles. Today's principle is to work at the local level. Messages that have a local slant are a priority of legislators since the local constituency is most important to their survival and success. Legislators like to know what is going on in their own backyard. Do you have a program to train and onboard your new advocates or reinforce advocacy best practices and principles to your existing grassroots advocates? We are 
proud to have Rap Index as a sponsor to the show. Let's face it, today's advocacy arena is just plain noisy. Organizations are stretched. You need every advantage to make sure your issue gets the attention it deserves and your voice heard. The Rap Index is the best way to do just that by finding your stakeholders' relationships and engagement power. Get past the noise. Know who your people know. Go to rapindex.com. That's R A P index.com and tell them Roger sent you for a special offer. A few quick notes to end this episode. In upcoming episodes, you will be treated to great interviews from leaders in the world of politics, associations, and nonprofit causes. If you like today's podcast, head over to where you find your podcasts and subscribe to the Voices in Advocacy podcast today. A big thank you to today's distinguished guest. We at Voices in Advocacy work with organizations to inspire, educate, engage, and activate your supporters by turning them into effective, influential advocates. That's it for this episode of the Voices in Advocacy. Remember, you have the power to be an effective, influential advocate. Now go out and make it a better world. We hope you enjoyed today's Voices in Advocacy podcast and look forward to you joining us again next week. To learn more about Voices in Advocacy, go to our website, voicesinadvocacy.com.